Turn with me, please, to Romans, the 8th chapter, and let's continue in some things we began some weeks ago, talking about the witness of the Spirit. We've talked about the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, talked a little bit about the person of the Holy Spirit. What we're dealing with is one of the biggest things that distinguish religious folks from people who really know him and walk with him. Do you believe God is real? He is. And his spirit whom he has sent to indwell us and to be our guide and our teacher is real. In um, 14, 16 of John, Jesus said, I'll pray the Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. While Jesus was with the disciples, he was their comforter and he's leaving and they're upset because he told them he's leaving, but he's encouraging them that they're not going to be alone and we're not going to be alone. We're going to have a comforter. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Believers have the spirit the world does not have. And this is not fantasy. This is not imaginary. This is very real. And uh, God is a God who reveals himself. He's also a God who hides himself. He does not reveal himself to people who don't believe in him. You know, he talked about this in John, where he told the disciples that if anybody loves him, they will keep his words, and he will come to them and manifest himself to them. And one of the disciples said, Lord, how are you going to manifest yourself to us, but not to the world? How are you going to do that? Well, the key, he's basically said the same thing again. If somebody doesn't love me, then they're not going to keep my words. But if somebody does love me, then they will do what I say. If you are doing what he says, you must believe he's real. Right? Right? And see, there are folks that don't believe God is real, so they have no respect for the Bible. they got no intention of doing anything it says. So to them, it's like there is no God. And God's not revealing himself to them. And people get all, you know, disrespectful and they say, well, well God, if you're real, then prove yourself to me. You know, in other words, show me and I'll believe. Well, you're not him, and so you can't set it up the way you want to. He said, believe, and he'd show you something. Right? Right? That's how it works. And so if you refuse to, you just, you won't experience things, and, and it won't be his fault. It won't be because he's not real. In the 16th chapter of John, verse 13, he said, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Somebody say, he guides me. He'll not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak. 
He will show you things to come. Say it out loud. He shows me things to come. He'll glorify me for he shall receive of mine and shall show it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. So he'll teach us. He'll guide us. He'll show us things to come. And in Romans, we get insight into how he communicates with us, how he shows us these things. Romans 8, are you still holding that? Romans 8 and uh, 14, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself, or as most translations say, Himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit of God does what? Bears witness with what part of our being? bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He lets us know by bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How many in here tonight could say that you are convinced that you are a child of God? How do you know that? How do you know that? Is it more than just a guess? How many have a, have a persuasion, you're, you're not struggling with it, you're settled about it, that I am a child of God? I am. I am. How could you know? Based upon what? Well, somebody else is inside you, and he bears witness with your spirit. That you are a child of God. Now if he can let you know you're a child of God. He could let you know something else. Couldn't he? He is communicating with you. Now it's not verbal per se. It's not audible necessarily. It's not emotional. It's not physical. It is spiritual. Spiritual. And this is something I want us to get into into some more detail tonight. Identifying the witness of the Spirit. You know, uh, anytime you talk about hearing from the Lord, you'll see some eyebrows raised. Right? And there are a whole lot of groups and churches and denominations and folks that just think it's absurd that somebody imagined that they heard from God. And then, of course, there are all kind of folks that are non-believers. They think it's bizarre. Either you're just making stuff up and lying or you're crazy. You're hearing voices. You need help. But this whole book is a record of people who heard from God. Isn't it? And if he's real and we say we have faith in him and know him and serve him, why wouldn't his people continue to hear him today? Amen. 
And what I have found, if you read the scriptures, you'll notice this. All the way from Adam and Eve, all the way through the first covenant people, the Jewish people brought out of Egyptian bondage, all the way through the writings of the prophets, all the way through Jesus speaking and dealing with people as he walked the earth to the apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists in the book of Acts, to the letters of the Holy Ghost through Paul and different ones and Peter to the church. It's never been a matter of God not speaking. It's a matter of people not listening and not receiving and not responding. That's always been the issue. How many have read the Bible enough to see God was speaking? God was speaking. Was that the problem is that nobody could get God to speak? Never was the problem. What was the problem? People wouldn't listen. Or they'd hear it and wouldn't do it. Always has been the issue of not heeding. Not hearing and not heeding. You reckon God's still speaking today? He is. He is. But one thing we shouldn't do is over-spectacularize or sensationalize his speaking. Look at the language carefully again. How does the Holy Spirit communicate with sons of God? What does he do? He bears witness with. What part are you being? Your spirit. First of all, you'd need to know that you are a spirit. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, please. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. And let's see, down about verse 10. It says, uh, well, let's look at verse 9. A lot of folks quote this, but they don't quote it with the other verses. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, As it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. People will quote that, stand alone. But the next verse says, But God has revealed them. Them what? Those things that eye has not seen, nor ear heard. God's revealed those things to us by his Spirit. Is God revealing things to his people by his spirit for the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Keep reading. For what man knows the things of a man, save what? The spirit of man which is in him. What part of your being knows? It's not your mind. Your mind processes information. Your mind, you can reason, but that's not, he didn't say the Spirit of God bears witness with your reason. What part of your being knows? We just got through talking about knowing you're a child of God. What part of your being? That's your spirit. That's the very core of your being. Your spirit. What man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knows no man but the spirit of God. And we got the spirit of God in our spirit. 
He knows everything. We don't. But he does. And he can let us know something he knows because he's already in us. And it's not something that would have come to us through reasoning or through our eyes or our ears or through our emotions or our feelings. It's something that came to us from him and we just know it. It's an inner witness. It's an inner knowing. And this is how every child of God can and should be led day in, day out. I don't know about you, but I I grew up around church. But I was a young man before I found out that I was a spirit. And the spirit of God would bear witness with my spirit. And I was supposed to pay attention to that. People would talk mysteriously about somebody having hunch. Or something came up and somebody said, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Or... I knew we should have done this. and So the question is, if you knew it, why didn't you do it? Right? And the answer is, people have not been taught to pay attention to these things. It seems weird to people. It seems strange. It seems mystical. And it's only because the church has been so ignorant about it. It's been in here all along. Right? All along. Sit out loud. The Spirit of God bears witness with my spirit. We just got through reading. He lets you know you're a child of God. If he could let you know that, he could let you know something else. He could let you know all kinds of things. We've been reading in the book of Acts. And what I have suggested is look for the place the Holy Spirit had in their lives. Look for that. And see how that, I mean, on a daily basis... The Bible said the Spirit said this, the Spirit forbade that, the Spirit directed this, the Spirit, have you read it? In the book of the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, were they aware of the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's leading, the Spirit's working? Well, now we're part of the same church, right? Same new birth, same Jesus, same gospel, same Holy Spirit. Should we be aware? Of the Holy Spirit's leading. Go with me to the book of Luke please. And then we're going to come into the book of Acts. Now. uh, You know God used the same man. To pen Luke. As Acts didn't he. And so that you'll see some. Some of the same emphasis on these things. In Luke. Chapter 1. I want you to begin to notice a phrase. That describes this witness. In Luke 1 and verse 1, he said, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in an order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of those things wherein you've been instructed. And verse 5, he starts telling the story. There was in the days of Herod. But in these first four verses, 
He gives us insight into why he's writing this and how he came to write it. If Dr. Luke, he's a physician, if Dr. Luke was here tonight, how many know Dr. Luke's still alive? You meet him one day, I suppose. If he was here tonight in Sarasota and you said, Brother Dr. Luke, why did you write the gospel account of Luke? Because, man, it's wonderful. I get fed off of it. Uh, it has changed my life and, and the lives of billions for generations. How did you know you were supposed to write it? He'd say, well, I told you. Right there in the first few verses. Why? Why? Because it seemed good to do it. Now this is pretty heavy duty kingdom business. Writing a gospel. Don't you think? This is part of the kingdom. This affects the kingdom. This affects generations to come. And you'd have to add to the scriptures to say that Luke heard a voice, that he had a vision, that an angel came to him and said anything. No. Why did he write the gospel account of Luke? It seemed good. It what? It seemed good to write it. And that's, so that's why he wrote it. Because it seemed good. What if he hadn't have written it? This is a huge part of our Bible. Isn't it? And also, you know, the book of Acts. Let's back up right now. It what? Seemed good. Where is your seamer? Where's your seamer? When you say it seems like, it seems good too. It doesn't seem good. Where is your seamer? Is he talking about reasoning something out? Logic? Is he talking about emotional? No, no. Seemed good. Where is your seamer? Where is your seamer? Said out loud, it seemed good. Skip on down to the second chapter of Luke. And verse 25, I'm reading in the NIV. Luke 2.25, NIV says, There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die Before he had seen the Lord's Christ. How did he know it? He knew it. Why? It had been revealed. He just knew it because it had been revealed to him. Should we pay attention to these things? And verse 27. Moved by the Spirit. He went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him. What the custom of the law required. Apparently. Simeon did not know Joseph and Mary, did not know anything. All he knew is that the Lord told him, you're going to see 
my promise. You're going to see the Christ before you die. And how does he walk in just at the right time when Joseph and Mary are presenting Jesus and offering the sacrifice there in the temple? He just happens to walk in at the right time. No, no. He was led. How was he led? Let's back him up a little bit. Where was he two hours before? Where was he? Maybe he was having a coffee and a bagel. I don't know. Where was he? Something was going on. And something came up in his heart. And it seemed like he needed to go to the temple. Now. So you'd have to add to the scripture to say he heard a voice or he saw something. Now spectacular things do happen. We have accounts of them in the scripture. Where people saw open visions. Where they heard things. But you know like take the book of Acts for instance. You see some of those spectacular leadings and manifestations. But if you'll examine it. You'd have to add to the scripture to say some of those things happened more than a time or two. Over the whole lifetime of a church leader. Are y'all listening saints? Now it sounds like it's happening all the time, and it was, but it's different people in different places, sometimes 10, 20 years apart, all over the church. And yet this that we're talking about right now, this witness, this seems like this belongs to every believer every day of the week. Come on, are you listening, saints? Don't try to hear voices. Don't try to give yourself a vision. Don't try to over-spectacularize these things. If the Lord gives you one of these things, well, thank God for it. He'll have a reason for it. Usually comes with some responsibility. Shouldn't say usually. Always comes with some responsibility. But what we should be doing is paying close attention to this witness inside. And this seems like... And seems good. And notice while he's doing that. The Bible. Other translations say. The spirit led him to the temple. He was prompted by the spirit. One says directed by the spirit. And you skip down to verse 38. While he's prophesying. And speaking over. Talk about being at the right place. At the right time. And while he's doing that. Guess who else comes in. Anna just happens to come in. At exactly the right time and the right place. Can you see that? At that very moment, she walks up. You know, I think as a generation, we should watch about becoming dependent on technology. Because you can use it as a crutch instead of being led. If we'd pay attention to our spirit... It would wake us up. It would prompt us where to go, when, what to say, how, with whom, where. It's possible to be led by the Spirit every day and every evening. But if you're used to relying on technological crutches and relying on other people, then you don't develop. And if you just ignore everything that comes up in you and don't pay attention to it, well, even though the Lord's speaking, you're not listening. You're not hearing and not heeding. 
Go with me to the book of Acts and let's see some, some very specific examples of this. In fact, we, we read it in the chapter yesterday and today. It was in our chapters. Acts 15. Let me go over this again slowly. You think writing the book of Luke is a big deal? How many say that's a big deal? Big deal. Eternal kingdom plan, part of it here, is accomplished by an impression. An impression. You know, um, I don't know if any of you heard uh, Brother Jesse DePlanets talk about his heaven experience that he had many years ago. But among other things, he said he got to talk to different individuals in heaven. And one of them was Paul. He said he came into this, the angel that was with him brought him to this house. And he looked in and there were a bunch of folks sitting in there and somebody was teaching and it was Paul. He said, Paul's short. He was sitting in a windowsill type thing and his feet didn't reach the ground, he said. And Paul was speaking to him. And they were all eating it up. And he said he got to speak to Paul. And he, he said, you, you know how Brother Jesse is. He, he said he told Paul, he said, I love everything you ever wrote. He said, I preach it all. He said, if you live today, you could get me for copyright. He said, I, just, I preach everything that you said. And he said, well, thank you, Jesse. And a couple of things that he said that he told him. But one of the things he said and this struck me, and it's what we're talking about right now. He said, he told him, among other things, he said, one of the most marvelous things, Jesse, is when I realized God made my words his words. When he was writing these letters, I guess he wasn't aware that this is going to be the New Testament. Well, that's just like the Lord. He has you do things by faith. He doesn't tell you the whole story. That God would take his words, the words he was given through him, and that they were his word, God's words. We can't say that Paul's hearing an audible voice write 1 Corinthians. Or that three angels showed up at his door and say, Yea, yea, thou shalt write 1 and 2 Corinthians. It shall be part of the New Testament forever. No, no. It's not how the Lord does things. And if something this significant came about by an impression that these men had in their spirit, that they followed through, is he going to lead us by a more spectacular fashion? Why should we require to hear voices and see angels for we'd do things that he'd direct us to do in life? No, no, no. If that's good enough to get part of the Bible written, it ought to be good enough to get you through your day. Amen. Going home, coming back, work, and dealing with your family. Somebody said out loud, it seemed good. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15, we read this recently here, that uh, some of the individuals in the beginning day of the church... They're trying to tell people, no, you got to keep all the law to be saved. And so they came together to talk about these things. And after they had spoken about it, they came to a conclusion 
about what people were to preach and what people were to do concerning this. And in Acts 15, after uh, Peter had spoken and James had spoken, the Bible said in verse uh, 22, Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent them letters and they described to them the thing that would solve this controversy. This is major questions about foundational doctrine in the beginning days of the church. And it says their process of doing this is that it pleased the apostles. That's the same Greek words translated, it seemed good. In fact, other translations say it that way. It seemed good. It seemed good to the apostles and elders. Now, some of your modern translations, this and other verses, they stray from the text. And they'll say they decided to do it. They're not just deciding these kind of issues off the top of their head. One translation said they voted on it. How'd they come up with that? You got to watch. Some of these translations just make stuff up. No, this is talking about what we see through the whole book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's virtually on every page, isn't he? Mm -hmm. Leading and guiding and directing, but it's not through a spectacular, sensational fashion. It just, when they heard what Peter said and they heard what James said... Everybody, it seemed good. It bore witness with their spirit. They thought, yeah, that's right. That's right. We're not supposed to tell everybody to keep the law. And this is what we're supposed to do. Keep reading. Verse 23. So they wrote the letters. Verse 24. And they told them, you know, some people went out and said some things that we didn't authorize them to say. Verse 25. And what? It seemed good. To us, being assembled with one accord to send these chosen men to you. Verse 26. And what kind of men they are. Verse 27. And we've sent also Judas and Silas. They're going to tell you the same things by mouth. Verse 28. For what? For what? For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us. This is a perfect description of what we read in our text. The Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit. The language there in the Greek is co-witness, witnessing with, additional witness. The Holy Ghost witnessed during their meeting, and they were aware of his presence and witness, and it seemed good to them because it seemed good to him. And this is how doctrinal matters were settled. They did not appoint a committee. They did not vote. Are y'all with me, saints? The leaders and the people were spiritual enough to discern when the Spirit of God was witnessing something. Oh, friend, here's where leadership is vitally important. So important. In Peter... Paul referred to this too, about individuals who were pastors. It said, over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. You can't make yourself a pastor. A school or university can't make you a pastor. 
You kin folks can't make you a pastor or a leader. And it's not that you're smarter than somebody else. Not even necessarily that you can quote more scripture per se. It's the anointing that qualifies. When the anointing, excuse me, when the Lord puts an anointing on people, then it enables them to stand in that place of leadership and gives discernment for the protection of the people under the leadership. Can you see this, friends? I mean, uh, these guys were in an uproar about this doctrinal controversy. They were already choosing sides. And even though Paul and Barnabas got up and told their side, it didn't settle it. And a lot of the folks were saying, oh, no. No, you've got to do this and you've got to keep all the law and, and all the, you know. And others, Paul and some of the guys were saying, no, you don't. No, you don't. And they're saying, yes, you do. And this is just turning into a big uproar. And Peter gets up. Peter gets up and says, now you all know that not long ago, the Lord chose me to preach to the Gentiles and the Holy Ghost fell. And you know how that happened. And you know, he gave them the Holy Ghost and they didn't know one thing in the world about the law. And he didn't require anything of them, gave them the same Holy Ghost he gave us. And while all the leaders were listening, they're thinking, "Uh uh-huh, that's right. That's right. Come on, can you hear what's going on here? The Holy Ghost is witnessing through Peter and the people have the same spirit in them and they're going, that's right. That's right. And then James got up behind Peter and said, that's right. And he started quoting scripture about how God was going to take to himself a people out of the Gentiles. And when those two got through talking, everybody said, that's right. And it seemed good to the Holy Ghost. And the controversy was over. When you got spiritual anointed people at the helm, that's how things can happen. Instead of fighting and splitting and all kind of problems. For decades. You know. Leadership is not. To be lording it over the people. But you lead by example. But much of the church. Is not deriving the full benefit. Of their leadership. Because they're not giving it the place. In their life. It's supposed to be for protection. It's supposed to be for help. Much of the church has been trained that pastors and leaders are pretty much just paid preachers to come do stuff for us. And if you don't like one, you can just fire them, get you another one, and just change them out every so often whether you need to or not. Just shake things up. And as a result, you've got business people in charge of spiritual things that got no anointing and don't know what they're doing. And it's a mess. It's a mess. And things are not happening the way they're supposed to. But how were these leaders? How did they come to this conclusion? How did they squelch what the devil was trying to stir up and cause strife about? It seemed good. Seemed good to Peter. Seemed good to James. When they shared it, it seemed good to the other leaders. They all got the same Holy Ghost, right? And it stopped it. Somebody say it seemed good. It seemed good. Verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And they described them. And it just solved the whole problem. Now skip on down to the end of the chapter, Acts 15, verse 36. After those days, 
Paul said to Barnabas, let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of God and see how they're doing. Let's go back around our, our trek that we made. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now the language here, one translation says, he was bent on taking him. And this is one of his relatives. But Paul thought not good. How many of there's different language between bent on it and I don't think it's good? He thought not good to take him with him who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. You know, Mark got homesick. Missed mama's cooking and some other stuff. And he's left in the middle of a crusade. Left in the middle of a missionary trip. And Paul said, I don't think I want to take him on this one. And Barnabas said, no, we're taking him. Paul said, no, I don't think we should. I don't think he's grown up enough yet. I don't think he's ready. And uh, Barnabas said, no, I said he's going. And the contention was so sharp that they separated And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed. Now hold on. Did you notice why Silas is there? This is not where he lives. How come Silas is so handy for Paul to pick him up and say, let's go? They were sent with them on this mission to preach to the churches. But back up to verse thirty. Three, well, 32, Judas and Silas, being prophets themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they'd tarried their space, they were let go in peace from the brethren unto the apostles. They were, they did their job. They were done. You can go back home. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Can you guess what same Greek words are there? It seemed good. The Young's literal translation says it like that. It seemed good to Silas to remain there still. Now he, how could he have known that Barnabas and Saul are about to separate and that Paul's going to need somebody to go with him on his next trip and he just happens to still be in town and ready to go? I mean, his buddy's already left and going back home. His job's done. He's running up hotel bills and restaurant bills, whatever he's doing. He's not home, right? Why is he still there? Because it just seemed like he's not ready to go. It just seemed like he should stay a while. Yeah. The other guy that was with him, he said, well, you ready to go? Let's go. He said, No, I'm going to stay a while longer. Why? We're done, aren't we? Yeah, I think we're done. Well, let's go. Let's go to the house. I'm ready to sleep in my own bed. Let's go. He said, no, I'm going to stay a while. It seemed like I ought to stay a while. Now, apparently, when you see how many times this is used in one chapter, this apparently was not a foreign phrase to New Testament saints. And maybe they were spiritual enough they didn't have to try to explain everything to everybody all the time. Why are you staying? Just seems like I ought to. If you're going to live by faith and walk by faith, you have to operate this way. It's hard on your head. 
It's hard on your schedule. It's hard on your friends. A lot of times they won't understand. Why? Why are you staying? Because they want a reason. Well, that's like pressing Abraham. Where are you going? Where are you going? I don't know. I'm leaving. You mean you're leaving and you don't know where you're going? That's right. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Watch it. You're talking to the faith patriarch of the church. Huh? And instead of making fun and mocking, you might see about becoming more like him. Right? How can you wind up at the right place at the right time, ready for the next step and the plan of God? You best follow your seamer. And not have to understand it all in your head. Did the Bible say trust in the Lord Amen. with all of your heart and do what? Lean not. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and what will he do? He will, he shall direct your path. How is he going to direct your path? How? With an audible voice all the time or? Angelic appearances, no, don't seek the spectacular. Don't always try to have something sensational when you got this already. It's right there. It's all the time. So many times the folks would just get quiet and just think about, okay, do I do this or do I do that? Get by yourself. Turn off all your stuff. All your stuff. I said all your stuff. No texting, no emails, no music, nothing. TVs, radios, off, off, off. Be still, get quiet. And if you hadn't done that much, uh, it's going to try. You'll be quiet, but your head's going to be going like this. <laughs> and it may take you a little while to get quiet and check inside. And say, Lord, I thank you. You said, I am your sheep and I know your voice. And a stranger's voice I will not follow. I've got an anointing in me. And by that anointing, I know all things I need to know. Thank you for ordering my steps and directing my path. And you think about, okay, if I do this, what does it seem like? Not talking about doing the math. Not talking about what your friend said. Not talking about statistics. Not talking about reports. What does it seem like in here? Seem good to do it? Don't try to figure it out. This is not figuring. This is seeming. Not talking about emotional feelings. We use those words. I just feel like I need to. Well, we shouldn't be going by emotional or physical feelings. Seems. What? Does it seem we should do that? Or we don't do it. If we don't do it, how does that seem? And if you pay attention, a lot of times you'll know immediately. You'll, you'll know immediately you got nothing when you think about this, but when you think about this, you got a witness. Mm-hmm. Seems good. And the more you pray about it and the more you look at it, the better it seems. Mm-hmm. And decision after decision that Phyllis and I have made in the ministry, that's how we've done it. We talk about it, it seems good to go over there and look. I remember, uh, you remember the summer, whenever it was? 2000 or so I guess and uh, we were really having some issues and felt kind of worn and just like to kind of get away from everything and everybody for a little bit and it just seemed good to go to Branson 
No explanation, no reason other than seem good. Go up there and rest a couple of days, play a little bit maybe, look around some. And one thing led to another, led to another, and it seemed good that we ought to go back and look closer. And then it seemed good that we ought to look in faith. And one thing led to another. There was a point where it seemed good to come look around down here. (laughs) What are you looking for? Well, we'll know it when we see it. (laughs) Huh? What what are you going to do? We'll know it when we find it. And uh, people have asked me, you know, well, did you study the demographics? Did you study? I purposely didn't. I don't want to be led by that. I mean, if you're looking for population... I should have went north or south a little bit. Right? If you're looking for this, looking for that. See, what's leading you? You can be led by all kind of things. You can be led by your temper. Can't you? Anybody ever been led by your temper? Huh? Said and did some stuff because you got mad. Whoo, you got mad. How'd you come out? How'd you come out? You can be led by your depression. Can't you? You say, I don't feel like going to work. (laughs) I don't feel like doing this. I don't feel like. How'd you come out when you were led by your depression? Did it go good for you? Did it work out well? No. You can be led by fear. You were scared so you wouldn't go. You were scared so you wouldn't step out. You wouldn't get involved. You wouldn't become a part. Later on, all the ones that did... Went good for them, and you're left out. Led by fear. One of the most dangerous things you can do is be led by a fear. Because if fear is leading you, who's behind that? The Holy Spirit's not leading you if you're following fears. We didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. We received the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. You can be led by money. I've seen people leave a good church where their kids had gotten healed, where their marriage had gotten spared and put back together, and leave and go somewhere where there was no church that they knew of to be a part of for $5 more an hour. Being led by money. It's a mistake. I said it's a mistake. Don't be led by price. Don't be led by fear. Don't be led by anger. Don't be led by lust. Don't be led by appetites. Don't be led by folks' opinions. Don't be led by what you think that they might think. That means you don't know what they think. Right? But if you're doing stuff based on what you think they might think, where are you going to wind up? Who's leading you? What are you following? I know I heard an elder say this one time. He kind of bellowed it out. He said, other people's heads is no place for me to look for my happiness. You agree? Does it seem good to you? What is, when it seems like, what is that? Go with me to the book of Acts, the 18th chapter. Acts 18. What does it mean? Something seemed like. We've already said, where's your seamer? 
What is your seamer? Do you need to identify your seamer and be aware of it night and day? You do. You know, I've been protected, Phyllis and I, both from erroneous doctrine and from getting in bad business deals. I don't know, a dozen times the last couple of decades. And we did not, it wasn't because we were so smart. It wasn't because we knew a bunch of stuff. We just had a witness. Just a witness. My, it don't seem right. And so sometimes even our, our friends were jumping into it and everybody's excited about it and gung-ho. And we're thinking, wow, seems good, looks good, sounds great. But then you get quiet and check your heart and it's something just doesn't seem right about it. Couldn't put your finger on it. Couldn't figure it out. But listen, as a child of God, you don't have to figure it out. Amen. Trust that witness. And later on, we found out, man, yeah, there's a reason why it didn't seem good. It was a major fraud. Just a bunch of lies and junk. People trying to steal. Pays to be led. Cost when you're not. Listen to this. Acts 18.5. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was what? Pressed. In the spirit. He was what? Pressed. In the spirit. Anybody got you a pen or something in your hand that you could use as an instrument? Don't use the pointy end that's got the ink on it. But use the other end. Push it into your hand or some part of your body a little bit. When you do, what have you got? You got an impression. Don't you? You got an impression. Because something was bearing against it. And it left an impression. And on this particular occasion, something was pressing against Paul's spirit. And it was for him to testify and preach like a house of fire to these people. And don't be afraid and don't back up. And it was the spirit of God. Impressing him. Somebody say impression. Impression. Now this is not God making you do something. He's not going to make us do something. But it's very real. I mean if you were standing up. And the door was open. And uh, we were there in the room with you. And I reached up. And put my hand on your back. And pushed just a little bit. Could you tell that? Yeah. Could you tell if that was somebody? And you feel the impression of my hand nudging you to go through that door. This is not physical. It's not mental. It's not emotional. But it's real. It's spirit. A spiritual impression. Now something we need to know about impressions is that you can put your own interpretations on them. And you can add stuff to them that the Lord never said and come to some wrong conclusions. Let me show you an example. In the book of Acts, notice how many of these are in Acts? 21st chapter, go over there please. Acts 21. Acts 21 and verse 1. It came to pass that after we had gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course into Coos. The day following into Rhodes and from there to Patera, finding a ship... Uh, 
sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Whom had discovered Cyrus? Left it on the left hand. You know, a, a big part of traveling ministry is traveling. <laughs> Which is why you need to believe God for aspects of the ministry. If you, if you do a lot of traveling, you need equipment to travel with. If you're stationary, you need equipment, buildings and stuff to do with. If you do both, you need both. Makes so much difference. It's not just getting there, but what shape you're in when you get there. When you're talking about spiritual ministry. And uh, verse 4, finding disciples, we tarried there seven days and said, these disciples said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. They said this to Paul, how? Through the Spirit. So what would you deduce from that? Should he go to Jerusalem or not? Read the rest of it. Verse 5. When they had accomplished those days, they departed. They went out, knelt down and prayed. And uh, eventually, verse 10, there came down from Judea a certain prophet. Now these guys that said he shouldn't go up to Jerusalem, were they prophets? No, they were what? Disciples. We might say lay people. Believers. But here's a prophet. And he took Paul's girdle or his belt. And he tied his own hands and feet. And said. Thus saith the Holy Ghost. Don't go to Jerusalem. Huh? No. Did he tell him not to go to Jerusalem? No. What did he tell him? The Jews at Jerusalem are going to bind the man that owns this girdle like this, and they're going to deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. Did he say, don't go? No. Now, this is, he's not saying this through the Spirit. He said, the Holy Ghost said. Different. Different. Verse 12, And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. So the whole bunch chimed in and said, don't go, Paul. Why? Because he's on his way. He's headed there. And Paul said, what mean ye to weep and to break my heart? I'm ready not to be bound only, but to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, well, just miss God then. Huh? Huh? No. Were they sure he wasn't supposed to go? No, because they say the will of the Lord. If they were sure it was the will of God he wasn't supposed to go, then you don't say that. You just say you're missing it, Paul. And there's been conjecture, and some folks have decided Paul missed it going to Jerusalem. He did not miss it. Do you remember when he got born again on the road to Damascus, what the Lord revealed to him? He showed him what kind of things he's going to suffer for his name's sake. He's going to preach before kings. And before that's how he got there. Isn't it? This is the plan of God. Something significant to note. Back up to that verse. In verse 4. 
Finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit. These words are translated other places, because of. And I like the Williams particularly. The Williams translation says it like this. Because of impressions made by the Spirit. When they got together and they got to praying, these guys picked up in their spirit that Paul's going to have trouble when he gets to Jerusalem. And that was right. And so then they said, you're not supposed to go, Paul. And that was wrong. See what I'm talking about? You can get an impression that's right, but then you can jump to a wrong conclusion and add your own thinking and mix your own ideas in with it as to what you're supposed to do or not do about it. And say something that's wrong. Which is why we ought to keep our language in line with the Bible. Saying God told me. Is a strong phrase. Isn't it? What's the phrase the prophet uses. When he comes to town. To address the body of Christ. What did he say? Thus says the Holy Ghost. He didn't say, I got an impression. (laughs) He heard this. Are y'all with me, saints? This is more authoritative. This is coming from a different place. Same spirit, but a place of authority and anointing in this ministry office. So, because of impressions made by the spirit, William says. I like that. I think it's very accurate. Some modern translations go all over the world with it. And they say stuff that's not in the text. And it shows they don't understand it. And they're trying to make it mean what they think it should mean. No, it's a perfect example. Watch about adding to. Watch about putting your own interpretation on things. You can sense something. And that sense and impression be right. But then you can leap past it and decide what it means. And you can come up with something completely wrong. And then people go around saying God told me. And he never told them any of that. They sensed something correctly. But then their conclusion they came to was wrong. And then they said the Holy Ghost said it. And he never did. So so a lot of times our language should be like this. Well what do you think about something? You say well. I have an impression. This is more accurate, isn't it? It seems like this. And if folks say, well, what does that mean? A lot of times, you know what you need to say? I don't know. (laughs) What does that mean we should do? A lot of times you need to say, I don't want to add to. That's all I got. I sense that. What does that mean? A lot of things, you won't know what it means until later. But how many think we are to not be just blatant and too quick to say God said this and Holy Ghost said that and God said this. And a lot of the language is too strong. It's too strong for what people actually have. And then when there are times, like when this prophet came and said the Holy Ghost said, man, everybody ought to stand up and take attention, shouldn't they? When it's the real deal. And go, hey, he's not And did he say Paul don't go? He didn't say don't go. He said this is going to happen. And it did. And it was part of the plan. 
He brought the word of God in front of kings. Didn't he? He was in chains. But it happened. Just like what the Lord told him the day he got born again. It came to pass. Can you say amen? Put Proverbs 3 that we quoted a while ago on the screen. And let's quote this in in closing and, and act on it. Proverbs 3 and 5. Do what? Trust in the Lord with all what? Your heart. And do what? Lean not to your own understanding. Can we learn to separate our understanding from where we're getting our impressions? That's what we must do, isn't it? People sometimes are taught their whole life through school and college and whatever. They're taught to develop their intellect, develop their reasoning, develop, but they're not taught to develop their spirit. They're not taught to pay attention to the scenes and these impressions. Because when the Spirit of God's in you, He's going to let you know. And the more you seek Him and the more you wait on Him about stuff, it's just going to get like that impression we're talking about. It's just going to get firmer and firmer until it's just indelibly impressed upon you and we've gotten to the place where we just knew we're supposed to start that church we're supposed to have that meeting we're supposed to sow that money into those people we're supposed i mean maybe you didn't know at first it came up to you it seemed good the more you prayed about it the better it seemed you got to the point where you just know and people say well what about this and what's going to happen i don't have to know all those answers i just need to follow that don't i and I've had sometimes people say, they try to tell me, well, man, that was a brilliant strategy. Wow. Man, you're smart. How in the world did you figure out that you do this and it was going to lead to that? That's amazing. And I looked at people and said, I didn't. And they don't believe you. you go, all right. You're just trying. I said, no, really. I had no clue. <laughs> That that was going to wind up from that. I just had an impression I should do that. And then it led to this. And then it led to that. And then it led to the other. How many believe if you'll follow the Lord. He will lead you out of the bad stuff. And he will lead you into the best places that you've ever been. And that you can wind up like Simon and Anna and others. And you just walk in and be at the right place. At the right time. Hallelujah. And good things happen for you. Blessings, miracles, wonderful good things. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.